It's good to see each of you this morning on the Lord's Day, and be that here in this room or watching by means of live stream, we thank you for your faithfulness. I do believe this room looks as crowded as it has in a very long time, which uh, is a good thing, though we remain careful and uh, vigilant in loving our neighbors. Uh, these are themes that we're going to be talking about today. And um, I, I'll just go ahead and have a, uh, you turn to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we'll be. I almost messed up there because we've been in John for so long, but we're going to take a break today. And uh, the purpose for that, way back uh, before Christmas when charting out which paragraph to look at for which week, uh, working our way all the way to Easter and hoping to land on John chapter 20 on Easter Sunday morning. I left one week of cushion uh, for snow or uh, for coming down sick uh, or any number of reasons, but we're so close now, I thought, well, today's a special day. Let's take advantage of a teachable moment and uh, the reason I call this a special day is on my notes, for the last year I've been tracking how many days we've lived under COVID-19. Today it says 365. One year ago was our first live stream only service. And uh, it's, it's been a whole year. It feels at times like it's less, feels like at times it's more. But I thought today's the day to talk about some things perhaps we haven't talked about yet. But before we do, let me read this passage that we're going to study this morning. And this is a departure from our verse-by-verse expositional teaching. We're still going to expound a text here today to talk about some things that uh, are of a timely manner. Um, But this is, let's see, verse 19 of Hebrews 10. We'll read through verse 25. We'll pray, and then we'll begin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the revelation of Scripture that we've been able to sing our way through. We thank you for your sustaining Word as we've met in different ways over the past 52 weeks beginning with the first Sunday that was so unusual. Lord, it's been your word that has sustained us. It's your word that has fed us. It's your word that has kept us on point. 
It'll be your word that continues to change lives until you come back again. So, Lord, we ask you to teach us again today. And if you would be so gracious to give us a mind to think, but also a heart to emote, to sympathize, to empathize, I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well, thinking back on a year, I thought, well, I could put together a list of things to chart the course we've all been through. But I'm going to just take for granted that uh, this past year is one that we'll never forget. And we don't need much reminding as far as what took place. Uh, But as far as this church, uh, thinking back to a year ago, I think that we thought that this will blow over in a couple of weeks. You know, worst case, a couple of months, we'll be back to where we were. It's temporary. And for the first few weeks or so, I almost thought of it as an adventure. And then there was a few weeks that felt like, kind of like vacation. And then it kind of set in where it was strange. And then I think some of us later than others started to feel a little lonely. And then after that, there was... Perhaps some anger. And then maybe after that some depression. And maybe after that we're okay for a little bit. And then another wave of crazy came along. And it just seemed to repeat itself over and over again. But I thought I'd just level with you at the beginning. And say that the point for choosing to talk about things we haven't talked about thus far. Was just to take advantage of a mile marker. That in the summer months may be forgotten. We'll get back to the way we've done things. We're all busy as we've ever been. Even though we haven't seen each other in a long time. Some of us. We're going to talk about church attendance. I said it. And um, just to be clear. This is not a rah-rah pack the pews party just yet. So I'm I'm kind of front-running change that I see happening over the next few months. But this is as good a time as any to talk about it. So make sure that you're not listening for cues as to what the future holds. Because I don't know the future. We're looking at this as we go. Um, The purpose of this this morning is to rehearse the biblical mandate that is ours to gather together as the local manifestation of Christ's body, from a biblical perspective. That, that, that's the purpose of today's message. So just knowing that about everything that affects our daily grind has changed over the last 365 days, socially, culturally, politically, you name it. Everything has changed. We could get specific. I've, I've listened to parents talk about what to do with college. I, I, I think as, as, as we roll out of this and the dust settles, we'll be able to look back and find out that 2020 will go down in modern history as the year of disruption, the likes of which we've never seen. The way our kids are educated is probably the best example. From pre-K all the way to to postgraduate work, I don't think it'll ever look the same. 
Uh, the workplace has changed. Uh, the workforce does its thing, but the workplace may happen who knows where. Maybe your own living room. Uh, transportation, hospitality, retail, um, all of that is forever changed. But the point I hope to drive home this morning is this. Our biblical mandate to meet as the gathered body of Jesus Christ, to worship together as the scriptures tell us, to equip each other for the work of the ministry, and to be busy about the business for which Jesus died, will never change until he comes back for us at the sound of a trumpet. This is the year where everything has changed but what we do here. But we're in the middle of a conundrum, as it were. We've been providentially hindered, if you want to call it that, from doing what we're supposed to do the way the Bible tells us we're supposed to do it. But that won't last forever. So there's some things I thought that might be helpful to talk about. So this means that though the world in so many ways can never go back to the way things were, the church absolutely has to. But in time. So that was me leveling with you. Now let me give you a disclaimer. okay? Because I think for a myriad of reasons, uh, this message has a high probability of being misunderstood. Because this past year has gone off the charts in its ability to misconstrue, misexplain, misremember about any and everything. So some of these things that will be said this morning, I've got a hunch, will not be heard. And there's probably the likelihood that some things that are not even said this morning will be heard. There's a number of reasons for that. We like to jump to conclusions. We like to frame things in the way that we see them make the most sense. And then there's this little problem of of having the subject matter this morning uh, being a subject that perpetually lives on the very short list of things that churches never get excited to hear about. Like giving and witnessing and forgiveness and church attendance. Right? I only gather this from a year's worth of talking about these things and watching how everyone just leaves with such joy. <laughs> and that's because it hurts to hear this stuff. It, it, it's, it's exercise. It's our vitamins. It's where we know we fall short. But it needs to be discussed. So first, and just for the sake of uh, reducing the amount of emails I get this week, we'll have a few ground rules, okay? Ground rule number one. First, we need to agree on how to frame the situation we find ourselves in over against the mandate of Scripture that we just read through. That ha- this has to be our standard. It can be no other way. So... All we've learned and, and been through and heard and, and, and considered all rides in the back seat. The scriptures ride in the front seat. So one, let me try to condense this to, to the situation we live in and then what we've been told in scripture. One year ago, in the space of about a week, 
we rapidly went from a state of complexity down to a state of simplicity. I really didn't have a lot of time. I remember being on the phone a lot. I killed my phone battery by 3 o'clock for about a week there, trying to figure out what to do and listening to other pastors. But basically we went from full choir and uh, one of the services we had, we had a bunch of people in here and uh, at the end of it, we all held hands to pray over someone, if you remember. And then the next week, it's just me and three or four other people talking to a camera in the back. And basically what we had was preaching, singing, and praying. The rest of it had to be tossed out the window. Now that's going from complexity down to simplicity. Over the past year, we've slowly been putting things back. And as quick as we could, we put together a little bit of fellowship because that's the fourth ingredient we find in the book of Acts where we see the church described in its basics, simplicity. There's preaching and teaching. That's the apostles' doctrine. The prayers, that included music. The fellowship, the breaking of bread. You can only go down but so simplistic before you're not a church anymore. And for a while we, we wondered, okay, are, are we even being faithful to what the scriptures say? So over time we've been winding back up, but slowly going from simplicity to complexity. Now here's why I bring this up as a ground rule. We need to make sure we understand that there's a simplicity that this book talks about. And there's some ways in which that simplicity takes on some complexity. But churches have the habit of making complicated what the Bible always intended to be simple. And after a year worth of simplicity, which it's the horror of the same old thing and monotony, we're all ready for some complexity. But it'll be up to us our Bibles and wisdom to know how to add that back. And I'm confident that it won't look exactly like it did last year. Some things we'll find don't work anymore. Some things we'll find we've never done before work great. But the easy easy thing to do now would be say, simplicity, bad, complexity, good. And when the gates are open and the coast is clear, we'll have millions of ideas. Some of them will be good. Some of them will be great. Some of them will be not so good. Some of them will be from hell. The devil would would like nothing more than to make us forget what we're supposed to be doing by doing all the stuff we'd love to be doing. And it's on us to make sure we do it right. So shifting from simplicity to complexity means that we're going to be doing some things we haven't done in a while. But understand that the biblical mandate in Scripture to be the gathered body of Christ, the business for which Jesus died and the Great Commission, has little to do with some of the things we like the most. I'm all for a big barbecue. And I think that we can scratch off that fellowship portion that must be done. But there are churches that are known for their barbecues And not for the preaching, teaching, equipping, encouraging, loving, stirring one another up that we just read. So those things are what we'll talk about. I could get into trouble at this point by talking about what things are necessity and what things are not. 
but I'll kill a sacred cow and nobody will want to eat the burgers. Let me say this better. Faithfulness to the Bible's basic instruction for the church is what is good, is what is right, is what is obedience, it's what is faithfulness. Anything that helps with that process is good too. But if it distracts or competes with it, it's actually a bad thing. And we've got to keep priorities, priorities. That's the first. The second ground rule is definitions of two words. Here's where I may see a smile or two. The first word is excuse. I see some nodding. I don't see a smile yet. I see a smile. Let me give you the the definition from a dictionary, though I, I will admit I got this from the Google. It's easier to type it in than look it up these days. You got to be careful with that. An explanation put forward to defend or justify a fault or offense. That is an excuse. Here's an example of that in a sentence. There can be no possible excuse for any further delay. Sounds like somebody sitting in a restaurant, doesn't it? Because you wouldn't be that person, would you? But you overhear people like, I just don't understand what's taking so long. There can't be any reasonable excuse for taking this long. What they're saying is that it's absurd. They don't have a reason to be late. It's an excuse. And no excuses. I want my food, right? All right, this is over against another definition for the word reason. Just mention the word reason. Reason is a cause, explanation, or justification for an action or event. Now, depending on the dictionary you use, this definition seems very similar in both these words, but there's a nuanced difference. And I think you probably caught the nuance when you were a child, right? Your mom never said, reasons, reasons, reasons. I'm so sick of your reasons. It's excuses, excuses, excuses. I'm sick of your excuses. Again, I looked this up online using Google search. This is the definition. But listen to the example they give, okay? You ready? The minister resigned for personal reasons. I think they updated that this past year. (laughs) And it's not an excuse. They give the man credit. He has his reasons. He can't take but so much. I laughed my head off alone in my study when that came up. But the point is, the main function of an excuse is to justify. I know I've dropped the ball, but there's, there's, there's a reason. It's an excuse. The main function of a reason is not to justify, but to explain. I, I can't uh, go fishing. I, I broke my wrist. Now, that will cease to be a reason at a certain point. It'll become an excuse that I'll never use. Right? So... Those are our ground rules. We're going to use these words, excuse and reasons, more than once before the end of this. This is a massive introduction. But let's get to verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. And because we're careful Bible students, we're going to start in verse 19 to get to verse 25. Some of you might have thought, well, he's reading the whole passage, so it just doesn't look blatant that all he cares about is verse 25. No, 
25 doesn't make sense without what's said ahead of time. It really doesn't make sense without the rest of the book of Hebrews. We don't have time for that, but we do have time to go through at least the first few verses. The word therefore is what it begins with, and that's a transitional word. And just like in the book of Romans, there are several key places where therefore is used, where the argument pivots on what has already been said. Another layer of argument is about to be explained. Same here. What is said before is why what is being said in verse 19 is said. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since, there's two uses of the word since here, we have a great priest over the house of God. Let me tell you what the therefore is there for, okay? Because if we were back up all the way to the beginning of Hebrews, which is the book to describe so great a salvation with a grand warning, don't neglect such a great salvation. You have no hope aside from this, the best deal you'll ever get. And then he begins to explain how good Jesus is, how much better he is than the angels, better than Moses, better than the high priest. He's a high priest on the order of Melchizedek. That takes a lot of explaining. But it's a great point if you understand it. He's better, he's better, he's better, he's better. And then almost with the crescendo in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I don't know any other way to put it. And if we had all the time to build up the drama and the crescendo, as the author so elegantly puts it, it's basically this. Your sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus. That's what this book means. And and it's, it's unfathomable how it would even be offered to us, given the likes of who we are against who he is. To understand who we are and who God is makes this even more wondrous. So having said that, your sins are paid for. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places and so on. Confidence is the first notable word because of what Jesus has done. And because we have this confidence as a result of having been justified by the blood of Jesus, this confidence allows us to do something. Look at it. Since we have confidence... To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now you almost need an Old Testament scholar to help you through the New Testament book of Hebrews. Because it has to do with things from their past. But we learn about this over Easter. You know what the Holy of Holies are. Who goes in the Holy of Holies? Nobody. Except one guy, one day of the year, with incense in one hand, a the smoke to blot out his presence and a censer of blood in the other to sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat on the day of atonement. Any other use of that room results in certain death. And a big fat curtain to make sure that you know the difference between the holies and the holy of holies. Right? This says that since Jesus has forgiven our sins through his blood, you have confidence to enter that room. The room that for centuries said, stay out. I'm holy, you're not, and there's nothing that can be done about it permanent enough to change it. 
But now that's done. Go right on in. And he's more specific here. By the new and living way, a living sacrifice that opened for us through the curtain, which is anybody who knows, again, the the story of the crucifixion from Matthew's gospel. When he said it is finished, what happened to that curtain? It ripped from the top to the bottom. It was the thickness of a man's hand made out of animal skins. A yoke of oxen couldn't rip it up. Maybe even one of our tractors. I don't know. It wasn't meant to be ripped. But it was ripped. Miraculously ripped. To show that all that is dead and over with. That's confidence. You probably don't have to do much to have enough confidence to strut for a while, don't you? I mean, if, if, you, if you ace a recipe you've been working on and it's finally good and the family says, Hey, thanks. Builds some confidence, doesn't it? You know? You just make it up. This is confidence we know not of. If we understood it, there'd be no stopping the church that knows the truth of these things. Confidence to enter the holy place. And then since we have a great priest, and this is described by what Jesus did for us, we don't need a priest. We have a high priest. Not only is he the sacrifice, he's the priest. And that blood has been offered on our behalf. And it never needs to be done again. Because of these things, using the word therefore, he's driving at something. He's making an argument. He's using these words since. Kind of like a parent at home. You know, since uh, forked out all that money for uh, hockey equipment. Expect you to clean this garage. Right? Since we have this confidence... Since we have a great priest, one who's offered sacrifice on our behalf, verse 22, here's what he wants. And this is our command. Let us draw near. If you look in verse 23, let us hold fast. If you look at verse 24, and let us consider. Hey, if you luck out getting this one in preaching class, your outline's already there. That's about as easy as it gets. Three verses, three points. Three mandates. Let's hit them real quick. Our salvation, which results in confidence and assurance, should result in our action in at least these three ways. First, we're drawing near. Add to confidence assurance here. Because our hearts have been sprinkled clean, it says. That's again imagery of the sacrificial system. Bodies washed with pure water. So the hearts that are desperately wicked, who can know it, are clean. The bodies that carried us through those offenses against God are washed. We've been estranged from our Creator cosmically since the Garden of Eden. That all has been rectified through faith in the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. So what do we do? We draw near to Him. We've been far Now we're near. Then hold fast. Without wavering. What are we holding fast to? Says the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? Well, we've been studying the Apostles' Creed. That's one way to make a confession. But I don't think it's any more difficult than from this context to just say, Jesus saves. Your sins have been paid for. You have a great high priest. You've been sprinkled. You've been washed. Jesus saves. Do you want it too? Let me explain how it works. That is the confession. 
And then it says, because one who promised it is faithful. How do we know that this is good? Who, who ensures this? The one who has promised and he is faithful. Notice that it's not your faithfulness that allows you to hold fast to the great confession, right? If that were what the gospel rested on, the church would have imploded long ago. He holds us fast so we can hold the truth fast. But then here's the good one. The active consideration for today. Consider how to stir up one another specifically to love and good works. So what does the church do? Well, what we're focusing on today makes it clear. The church does a lot. But one thing it does and has to do and, and isn't a church unless it does is stir up one another to love and good works. We'll have to come back to this. But that word consideration, um, I think it's obvious. Safe to say that doesn't mean an afterthought. Consideration. Have you thought your way through? Have you sat down and made an assessment on how you will stir up the others in your church. Emphasis is not on you being stirred. We all like to be stirred, but this is talking about us doing the stirring. It's understood that these people would know each other and spend time with each other, else the stirring's not going to happen. Now, looking into the words and their definitions from the original language is a gold mine here. And uh, my favorite is the word stir up. It's a very colorful word. How many of you have kids? You can raise your hand. Even if they're grown, this will still work. We've got four. Three of them are boys. Two of them are here. One's with their mother teaching junior church with their older daughter, uh, sister. Um, if I put those three boys in a room, shut the door. I think they'll just sit down and Wait until I come back and open it? You think they'll get into something? Which is more likely? They bring out the best in each other? Bring out the worst in each other? How many of you believe that eventually there will be some stirring going on? That's just their nature, right? It's our nature too. doesn't matter what you do with a group of people. There's going to be some, some stirring that takes place. The word stirring itself is a wonderful word picture because it, it's actually the word for agitation. It, it means putting things together and mixing them up against one another. Um, this is about as opposite as social distancing as you will find in the scriptures. This is the antithesis, the antidote. For social distancing. The other day in the office, we had a conversation. Sometimes we talk about really important things in the office during the week. And the discussion had to do with a specific confection known as an eight-layer cake. And the necessity of stirring up the icing to the right consistency person who had been doing this had a reason for a while not to do it because of a surgery she had to have some help someone else to stir it up but stirring up it had to be or it's not going to be right without the friction involved 
and at a certain temperature as it gets tougher to stir. There's a certain amount of friction that's good. What I thought was incredibly interesting is that this word in its use in the scriptures has both a negative and a positive application. This is the same word you find in Ephesians 6 where daddies are told not to provoke their children to anger when they discipline them. Discipline is also a means of uh, agitation for the purpose of correction. It can be done the wrong way and then you've got this, this byproduct that is not at all helpful. Anger. In this case, it's supposed to be a good thing. Stir each other up to love and good works. That's stirring the right way. So the local church is to stir up amongst each other love and good works. This is a command of Scripture. Because of what Christ has done, and since we have the confidence to do it. I need to be stirred. You need to be stirred. We need to stir each other. Put a bunch of boys in a room. They may bring out the worst in each other. Put a bunch of people in a church. We're supposed to bring out the best in one another. That's what we're learning from this passage. Now, here's, here's where I have to summon some courage and step out on a limb, only for the purpose of, of trying to contextualize this issue on a day like this, after a year like this, expecting another year unlike this past year. And uh, I think 2020 involved a, about as much negative stirring as I've ever seen our country undergo. We've been stirred up all right. And we, we can't detach ourselves from the culture we live in but so much. And the problems of the world will come into the church because the people in the church have to live in the world, right? I read something um, days ago. I, I, I follow a specific blog of a specific pastor who has a gift of God to take what we all know and feel and are pushed and pulled by and condense them into very simplistic terminology such that we can see where it fits in Scripture. And he takes heat from all sides. That's just what it, the result of speaking up these days. But he does so, I think, in a, a very winsome way. And he put together what he charts as what looked like the church is coming together on the basics of theological truth for years and years, but came to a grinding halt this past year, and not necessarily along theological lines, but along these side issues that have splintered the church into different directions based on what he calls my sideism, and and breaking up into teams, and and fighting over what is the right way to act, think, talk. Whatever. He's got a whole grid in one of these articles that just lists all the things we've suffered through um, about social issues, uh, politics, presidential elections, uh, race relations, uh, Christian nationalism. It's all in there. But he put a couple of things in there that, that really uh, could be explained rather simplistically. Just 
I think, from my perspective, is it's just kind of a, a, a thing in there to help us all see how these work. My favorite one was when he dealt with masks. And you know I've stayed out of this. Because I don't particularly like getting shot from multiple sides, right? Um, but I want you to hear how he put this. Not for determining what to think or how to act regarding masks. But just how we can get into a position where it gets to be so multi uh, angled, even divisive. He used four categories of thought. Let's just say these are three, four groups. If you want to use four teams, okay. I, that, I don't think that's constructive. And he's used uh, three different or four different words to describe the categories, which are all positive in nature. I think that's good. Just listen. Okay, suspend your judgment till we get through this. Number one, he calls contrite. You know what to be contrite is, contrition. You feel as though you're involved in something that you, you, you feel pressure from or maybe fault in. or You're, you're part of this and, and, it, and it's on you. This person may articulate their thoughts on masks by saying, I feel unsafe and uncared for when masks aren't worn. I can see that. Number two, compassionate. We know what it means to be compassionate. We want to help. We look at somebody's situation, makes us feel bad. Empathetic, sympathetic. We want to be hands-on. Might go something like this. It's one small but important way to love your neighbor. That's not such a big deal. Sure, I'll do it. If it'll help others. Number three, careful. Notice my tone was a little different there because, I don't know, some people look at being careful as boring. Being careful is a good thing. Um, you know how many cards I got a couple of weeks ago saying... Hope you get well. Be careful. <laughs> so I know you value being careful. You told me. Some of them were a little more colorful than others. <laughs> Be careful, you moron, idiot. <laughs> that wasn't the words they, they used, but I knew what they were thinking. And for those of you who just got here, I broke my wrist a couple of weeks ago falling off a skateboard. It sounds like everybody knew that already. <laughs> Here's the careful approach. Probably overblown and a bit frustrating, but let's just get through this. Which may be looked at as an admirable way to try to get through it. But reserving in their own mind the notion that I don't know if I know enough to know what I need to know. Careful. Number four, courageous. It's always a good term. But the courageous may say, a sign of the government encroaching on our liberties. Now, you'd probably agree, one is a good distance from four. The two and three are kind of close. They represent the middle ground. You may like all of these. You may like one better than the others, and a couple of them are okay. But here's what... This man says as explanation, the loudest voices tend to be ones and fours, which makes sense because they tend to see many of these issues in the starkest of terms. 
and often collide with each other in ways that make for good posts on social media. The ones in the fours can also be the most separatist. You don't really see ones and fours hanging out together that much. The twos and threes are more likely to appeal to unity, or at least ask for a better understanding of all sides. They're open to this, which can make them sound a little too squishy for either end of the spectrum with the ones and fours. The effort by the twos and threes to find middle ground is made difficult by the fact that many of the twos want their friends among the threes to call out the dangerous fours, while the threes would like their friends among the twos to be a little less sympathetic of the ones. I'm glad this makes sense to you. Because you see the, the place we're in. Um, it makes me think of a situation in Philippians 4 too, where, where Paul did the unpardonable. He called out two women for a gripe they had between themselves. Their names were Euodia and Syntyche. He says, you've got to stop this stuff. You gotta, well, let, me, let me not paraphrase the man. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women to agree in the Lord who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, whose names are in the book of life. It's obvious this is not a theological thing that he's talking about, but it's getting in the way of theological obedience. They're not able to share the gospel because of something that's in the way that has nothing to do with the gospel. And it may be that they think different when they go to bed at night, but should that keep them from doing what God died in order that they could do? Uh, I, I, I thought about whether or not I would go to the length of trying to be transparent from the position of a member of your pastoral staff and what it's been like over the past year. Some of this stuff, I suppose, could speak for the others, but I, I won't do that, though they may agree with some of this. But being your pastor, and a new one at that, and, and, and some had said, you know, uh, you know adversity kind of helps you dig into a spot. I'd had some folks around town say, you know, we'll pray for you till you get to that fourth or fifth year, you know, when, when everything seems to fall apart. And then the same guy said, you know, COVID, I think, blasted you've passed that. And I'm thinking, boy, I hope so, because I feel like I sure aged about four or five years over this past year. And, and what was so difficult about it? In seminary, I, I think the professors took a reasonable shot at trying to help a young man who's considering the call of ministry on his life to understand that it won't always be lovely. You won't always feel uh, appreciated or respected. And it doesn't matter. It, it's this that, that deserves all the respect. But what they seem to lean in on as, as a baked-in understanding of the costs of such a position is that you will likely have to take a stand on something at some point that will cost you in some way. But the only category they ever talked about was when this is called into question. When someone says, you can't say this or teach that, that, that the actual stumbling block of the gospel may cost you your reputation or may turn 
a friend into an enemy. Or the church may send you packing and, and they'll put their money together and hire somebody. They'll tell them what they want to hear. All that can happen and it does happen. But this year, which I would put at the top of the chart of the most difficult years of the 20 I've served in such a capacity. None of it was theological. That was not this church's problem. If the church has a problem. All of the discussions, all of the hours, all the nitpicking wordsmithing at my desk at night trying to figure out, okay, how do I say something without resorting to nothing and communicate what needs to be said without alienating myself to group one, two, three, or four, or all of them? How do I do this? I don't know. I'm not sufficient to this. I just... Hope that we'll be faithful to the basics of this book. That's what was weird about this year. That was what was stressful about this year. I won't say that it was about goofy stuff. This is not goofy. There's nothing goofy about a global pandemic. But it wasn't theological. And this is where going forward, we're going to have to emerge from this better more obedient, more clear thinking, more humble. You know, what this might teach us that might be worth more than anything else, it takes a person an awful lot of understanding to understand that they don't have understanding. Maybe it'll get us there, just enough to know that we don't know at all. Because if the whole world can be in all different directions, then no one person really has a handle on the truth yet, do they? except between the front cover and back cover of this book. So, if we are going to care for one another, as required by this passage of Scripture, then we better not give up on meeting together. See how I waited to save all that to the end? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another... And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Day is capitalized. That's, that's the end when the Lord returns. So immediately, that verse, after this context, uh, it shows you right off the bat that though the modern church in America might have been the one who perfected the art of laying out of church, they weren't the first to do it. The author of Hebrews had a problem with this. The church will always have a problem with this. Here's my concern as your pastor, the reason to bring all these things up. And this isn't the main thing, but it's part of what affects the main thing. During a time of crisis, which is what we've been through for a year now, the technological means at our disposal to carry on when we couldn't meet were, in my estimation, a form of life support. But as our reasons for being away from one another dwindle, the only thing that will replace the reasons are excuses. And as far as excuses go, what once was life support will become merely convenience. And what I'm worried about is how most of this church didn't know anything about live streaming. 
before last year. You knew we had it. You were glad other people were able to use it. Who have reasons and will continue to have reasons. And they'll always have those reasons until they're in heaven. Talking about those that are shut in. Remember, there's a difference between reasons and excuses. But now that everybody knows how to use that stuff, it's going to be awful easy to use it as an excuse going forward. Because that's the way we are, right? It's our nature. How many of you have bad habits that were hard work? The nature of a bad habit is the shortcut, the path of least resistance, right? To say that live stream was wonderful because you could use it in the, the security of your own home. Well, it's also wonderful because you can do it in the comfort of your own pajamas. Right? You can come in late on a Sunday night, Saturday night from vacation with all the intentions of getting up and going to church. But then there's that live stream. There's only one problem with it then. Can't stir one another over live stream like we can stir one another here. Now, at home, away from each other, when you've got all your social media and your favorite news outlet, 24 cycle news, there's no better place to be stirred the wrong way. Sad to say. Now, not any of those things are bad in and of themselves. But, I mean, think your way through it. If you didn't pay for that social media, it's not free. You're a user. You're the product. They're advertising to you. Hopefully, to sell big bucks of advertising. It's business. I get it. But in order to keep you using... They're going to tell you what you want to hear, not what you should hear. Before long, you've been only listening to one side of the story such that the other side is is evil and your side is righteous. That's stirring the wrong way. We need to be stirred the right way to love and good works. And the only way we can do it is together. And the best way we can do it is together in person. Now, is today the day? No, we still have some reasons. Some of us look at this differently. We assess risk differently. I don't need to do it. You can do it for yourself. Just in your brain, put together a priority uh, scale. Okay? At the beginning, when we're all locked down and we're scared to death and we wore gloves and our mask and hand sanitizer quick on a string off our belt and had to go get groceries. Why? Because you've got to eat. You have to live We can't just starve to death because of a virus, right? So top of the priority was survival. And then way down at the bottom would be stuff like fun. You don't have to have fun to survive. You don't have to go to the movies. But now there are some people that are having fun. The risk assessment allows them to go have fun. I sure hope that church is closer to survival than fun, such that fun gets done before. Your responsibility to stir us as a member of this church because your sins are paid for. 
because you have the confidence to go through that veil into the Holy of Holies. Because you hold fast the confession of faith. Folks, the comparison is gold versus dirt. Wood, hay, stubble versus gold, silver, precious stones. One lasts forever, can't be burned up with the hottest of fires. The other won't last. It might be blown away before it's burned up. This isn't all there is. This is just the practice for eternity. At some point, when your reason expires and the excuse is a temptation, we need you back at your post. That's the message today. And this is where I'm grateful for the rest of our staff. For Rachel and for Seth, for David. I'm glad, and you should be glad, that I'm not in charge of recruitment and going from uh, simplicity to complexity. See, I would just say, all right, here's the sign-up. You know what you're supposed to do. We just went through it. When would you like to do that? They're going to be much more concerned about your schedules and uh, burnout, things like that. I'm more worried about obedience as the one who will give an account for this body. And that's why I'll step out on a limb and tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it. I hope offense has been kept to a minimum. And for whatever it's worth, I'll serve with you guys anywhere. This is my place now. Call it home. And I can't even begin to explain what it means to be part of this church. The last part here is encouraging one another. That's what we're supposed to do when we meet together. You could describe that as make a positive contribution that will produce a helpful result. Last week was not a go thou and do likewise, right? Remember that? This is absolutely the epitome of go thou and do likewise. Find out what you can do to encourage someone. A contribution that will produce a helpful result. Because we can't respond to the power of the gospel as we've been told. Since this, do this without being faithful to the gathered body. We can't stir each other when we're not together. We can't encourage one another when we're not in each other's company. This crisis is temporary. It will be over. And then whether or not we're obedient will be held on our account. My hope is that this will help you in your decision making over the coming summer months. And uh, I could not be more optimistic. We're on the edge of what I think is going to be a whole awful lot of growth pains. And if we thought we were tight in here one year ago plus a week, just wait. We'll be glad we've got a growth and planning committee to help us strategize on how to do that. We'll be stirring one another so much we won't know what to do. We won't be able to get away from one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the pep talk of Hebrews 19 through 25, chapter 10.
Lord, our sins are forgiven. We do have confidence. Lord, we are to hold fast. We are to draw near and we are to consider how to stir up. We are insufficient for this. All the things we want to do for this church, all the things we want you to do through us, we can't do any of them without your help. On our best day, we are unprofitable servants. But you working in us can accomplish the work for which you died. Be so pleased to save some through this body for your glory. Thank you for this church, for a good family who loves you and who loves one another. I ask all this in your name. Amen.